Welcome to Digital Vision number five. Today we talk with Louisa Heinrich, Executive of User Experience and TV Platforms at BBC New Media. Louisa, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. Now, let's start with a bit about you. You started off in design at BBC, is that right? Yes, yes. My, my whole background is in design fundamentally, solving problems through design, as I like to put it. And uh, you decided that your influence wasn't sufficient in that particular area, and you've taken on a new role in terms of user experience. What does that mean, coming from design and getting into user experience? What is user experience? Well, uh, I, th- I think they're really one and the same. I mean, the design, designing user experiences is, mm-hmm. design is an activity, user experience is a thing, I suppose. Uh-huh. It's, it's not different disciplines, I don't think. Um, it's just different names for the same thing as the industry evolves, so does terminology. The, the, the main change that I made at the BBC was, was to go from a, a role where I led a team that mm-hmm. executed designs right, and that... that made user experiences, so to speak, to practitioners team, to a more strategic role in the organization, which was aimed at trying to figure out how best to interact with audiences across television platforms. Okay, and that's a challenge at the BBC because you have a number of different platforms that you interact with viewers. Yes. Now, how do you even start to solve a problem where... Uh, different viewers have different technology that they are interacting with and different programs and different even ages of viewers and the way they want to interact. And uh, that's a massive problem on in a number of different dimensions. Where do you start to attack that sort of problem? Uh, that's a very good question, to which I'm sure there are many answers. Uh, I, I, I suppose the answer is a lot of different ways at once. Um, I think the the sort of governing principle of good user experience is that it has to be fit for purpose, fit for the user. So as, as you quite rightly pointed out, we have a number of different audiences, everything from children who interact with the world and with telly in their own ways, all the way up through teenagers and adults and people who are older and perhaps not as technically adept. So a one-size-fits-all approach to engaging with all of those people is probably not the best idea. So, so what we're trying to do instead is look at the different ways that we engage with different kinds of audiences and bring the context into the equation. So for instance, if, uh, if we have a active game that kids can play on television mm-hmm. and we have a whole perhaps set of interactive activities that kids can do, through the interactive service on their red button. That's a very different environment from, for instance, you or I going home and watching last week's Doctor Who episode through Mm -hmm. iPlayer on telly. Also, as you point out, different platforms have different technical capabilities. And so what I might be able to do on on my Freeview box is different from what I can do on my BT Vision box that I had installed last week and I Mm -hmm. still haven't figured out how to use. And all of these things afford us different opportunities to engage. So I guess a shorter version of saying that is it's not a single problem that that can be solved in a single way. It's more an an overall approach. And I think that's what we're trying very hard to to wrap our heads around is this this idea of 
how can we be familiar to the audience and recognizable to the audience and have a positive presence in their life without being sort of draconian and once fits all and mm. boring at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. um, so how do we have that freedom and that flexibility and at the same time not bewilder people? Um, so that's at the heart of it. And, uh, and I think at the heart of that is a fundamentally different way of looking at the world as a broadcaster. The traditional relationship between the broadcaster and the audience is we will... We'll listen to you, but we ultimately will decide what programs we're going to make, and right. we will put them on telly for you, and you will watch them in the order in which we air mm -hmm. them, mm -hmm. and you will like them or you won't, and hopefully you will like them. And, uh, and over, over the years, that's changing, and the change is accelerating. And uh, technology has opened up a lot of different ways that we can engage with audiences and let them tell us what they want, what they think, um, who they think should be, in or out, here or there. Um, so one of the things that we're exploring is, is what the best ways are of leveraging that technology and using it to find out more about what kinds of programs our audiences want us to make, what they think about that we already make, um, ways that they can share content with each other, mm -hmm. ways that they can discover things that they didn't know existed, um, perhaps learning activities. We can bring in some of the wonderful content that we have historically from our archive mm -hmm. together with current programming. There, there's, there's a lot of opportunity, but there's also a lot of thinking to be done around it. <laughs> so when you're looking at these different technology platforms, let's, let's look at that first. Uh, is your philosophy generally to try and get the most out of any one platform or is it to try and make the experience as similar as possible on all the different platforms? How do you... A little from column A, a little from column B. Um, <laughs> I, I think two two part. Well, there's sort of two parts to that question, aren't there? The, on the one hand, it's what's the what's the objective with the technology? Is it to squeeze every last drop of functionality out of it? And and to that, I would say, um, generally speaking, it's not so much about how much can the technology do. It it right. it's more about what can the technology do that's most useful? Is that people, um, what makes Apple so great? Is it that everything's the same? Not really. And yet, whenever you, if you're using an Apple computer and you open any, virtually any program mm -hmm. in that, within that operating system, it feels familiar. Once you right. learn how to use one of them, you know how to use all of them. And ironically, it's not necessarily the big branding and color schemes and stuff like that 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 makes that happen it's it's small details it's the fact that when you click on the play button it does this weird little flashy thing mm -hmm. and that tells you that it's responding to what you're doing right and it's it's consistency in action and response consistency in sort of small feedback loops that's what builds relationships so i think that there is a place for branding and color and the presence of an organization in its interfaces. But mm -hmm. ultimately, I'm not convinced that it's that that really makes the best relationship with the audience. I think there's a balance to be struck between being free to create an interface that's really fit for that audience and that content at that time, mm -hmm. and at the same time making it familiar in the way that it works so that people know what to do with it and ideally know that it's yours mm -hmm. and can identify it sort of at a glance. Looking now at the viewers themselves, um, you're, you're talking about trying to find something that's fit for purpose. But um, in terms of the popularity of TV programs, I mean, we have a, a, 
a fairly uh, well-known way of measuring what, what programs are popular. How do you know if your user interface is something that people like or interact with or have some affinity with? How do you survey that? How do you find out? We are trying to figure that out. <laughs> if you find anyone who's got that covered, then uh, please let me know. Um, we're, we're, try- we're trying every way that we can think of, mm-hmm. fundamentally. I mean, one way to measure it is, is do they respond? If you give people a channel through which they can talk to you, mm-hmm. do they? Do they use it? If they don't, either they don't have anything to say, which is kind of unlikely, or you're not giving them the best way to say it, or uh-huh. they don't have anything to say in that context. And, uh, and you're right, it is really hard to evaluate people's activities and, and extract meaning from them. Um, I, think that, I think that we are learning as we go mm-hmm. what the right ways are to test the things that are already in the market. Um, in terms of w- things that we're developing and in the process of working on, we do test everything before it goes live with real actual human beings who don't work in the building right. as often as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes we work with agencies, sometimes we have some we also have some usability people in house. Mm-hmm. So it is a part of our process, whatever we're looking at, to to test things so that we're not a black box. Um yes. and that does help us understand not just our interpretations of audience behavior, but but what people really are thinking. I, I expect that's quite a humbling experience because you must have you know, worked on this amazing new application. You think it's fantastic, and all these people are raving about it. And then you put it in front of some you know normal people in inverted commas, and and you know they give you feedback that you don't expect. Have have you had any experiences like that? Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yep. Humbling is a good word for it. It's an enlightening experience. I think. Mm-hmm. I think. Uh, I don't know. I th- I think it's made me a bit. It's it's certainly changed me for the better. Those right. experiences. Well, I think you have kind of two choices. Either you can, either you can come to the conclusion that most people are imbeciles and they will never understand your genius <laughs> <laughs> and become a megalomaniac, um, or you can you can sort of accept the fact that you, as an individual or even as a team or even as an organization, don't necessarily understand how everyone thinks and don't necessarily understand fully why people do things that they do um, and that it's generally best to ask them instead of assuming that you get mm. it mm. I, th- I, think, I think particularly because we work in sort of a rarefied world I mean people who work at the BBC and who work in media generally mm. have such a different and heightened or maybe not heightened maybe just different awareness of mm-hmm things in the marketplace and trends and how to engage with things. It's so different from the norm and yet we're so used to it Yes, that we sometimes forget that we're not the norm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the BBC is really good about making sure that we have access to information about audiences. Right. Our, our marketing communications and audiences division through a big audience festival last autumn, and mm-hmm. which was great. There were you know, audience members having debates in open right. forums and and tons and tons of research was sort of assembled in different ways so that so that it would be more meaningful to us in the work that we do so mm-hmm. it, it is kind of always circulating this idea of there are people out there they're not necessarily <laughs> like you and your friends <laughs> might want to listen so uh yeah it is humbling but it is uh i think it's also it's it's absolutely invaluable mm-hmm. it is, I, I i couldn't put a high enough value on stuff like that 
since the beginning of you starting to do interactive services and engaging with viewers in this different way, uh, the philosophy with which you create these user interfaces must have changed over time. Is that right? Yeah, I'd say so. I think, um, well, I mean, I, I, haven't, I haven't been around the BBC for all that long. I've only been around for about two and a half years. But I, I suspect, and, and anecdotal evidence suggests, that <laughs> initially interactive services were sort of a sidecar. Right. You know, that, that what we primarily do is we make programs and we make films and we, make, and, and we, and we do radio broadcasts. And, and then we also have this sort of interactive support mm-hmm. for those programs. And I think that over time, uh, for better or worse, interactive has gotten a lot more attention, mm-hmm. both from the audience and internally. And, and it's changing now from, a, from an environment where you have content production over in one area and new media or technology over in a different area mm-hmm. to an environment where the two are intertwined. So instead of commissioning a television program and then at some point eight months later, somebody thinking about a website or an interactive environment or you know, trailers for your mobile, mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're working toward a world where all of that gets considered collaboratively at the beginning. Right. So that when, for, from, the, from the moment of its inception, all of the different touch points with the audience can be, can be considered and we can make really good decisions about what the best ways are for people to engage with things and so we can open mm. up as many doors as, as are appropriate or as are wanted, I suppose. Yeah, that sounds very exciting because you're not just looking at um, trying to spin off things to, to get coverage, it's actually creating an experience that's a bigger thing of the program or of the content itself. Exactly, and, and moreover, there is so much richness in the content that, that the BBC's produced over the years. I mean, Ashley's been talking about releasing releasing pieces of the archive. If you think about the whole BBC archive of programs, mm. that's, that's almost an, an unfathomable <laughs> amount <laughs> of programming. But there, there are threads that go through that that are so useful. And I think, I think particularly, particularly for people who are studying or particularly interested in a, um, in a, in a topic mm-hmm. or an area of the world, to be able to go back and look at that thing over time as as it manifested itself in programming, I think is a, is an incredible, incredible thing, mm. and to be able to moreover take pieces of that archive and connect them up with things that are current mm-hmm. and timely is uh, that would be a magical thing. Well, I would really love it, and I hope <laughs> our audiences would too. But that remains to be seen. Um, that sounds very exciting. Mm, yeah, it is. So for interactive programs, I guess there was a time when. Uh, the sort of adding of interactivity was a kind of trendy thing to do, and it was a sort of like, uh, oh, we should add, add, a, you know, add a red button sort of function to this particular type of program. Um, and these days when we're looking at, at, um, uh, looking at delivering content on multiple platforms and uh, looking at interactivity as part of, almost part of the program itself, do you actually think customers, uh, viewers want this sort of interactivity, or do they really just want to sit down on their lounge chair and just watch something passively and have something thrown at them? Do they really want to be able to control that more, or is it, is it some segment of the viewership that wants to do that? How do, you, how do you tell what people really want in that way? Well, research that we've done suggests that all of the above are true. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. We, we, did, we did some research for a, for, for a project that we worked on about a year ago, and um, we discovered that I think we came up with seven different stages, but, but fundamentally it's a scale 
Mm-hmm. On one end of the scale is the very, we call it, we refer to it as lean back behaviors. People mm-hmm. who just want to sit back and be entertained, turn on the telly, flick channels, maybe not even flick channels, just turn it on and watch whatever's there. Mm-hmm. Right? To the, and, and at the opposite end of the scale, you have people who are making things in response to. And in between, you've got everything from the, I just want something to make me laugh. I'll know it when I see it. I want to watch last week's Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. You've got all these different levels of, in, of engagement. And the trickiest part is that it's not necessarily different people at different levels of engagement. Right. You or I could be at various different levels on right. various different days or all of them on the same day. I mean, it's something that anecdotally we, we kind of knew from... Stories like uh, my Tiva thinks I'm gay. Are you mm-hmm. are you familiar with that story? Yes. Yeah, it's a brilliant, brilliant tale. Um, but it, it, what it comes down to is that you can't assume that the now state is the always state. Mm-hmm. I, gu- I guess to use probably some technological jargon, the idea is that people change and people are in different moods on different days, and mm-hmm. you and you have to be mm-hmm. flexible enough to accommodate that. So, I think the answer is some people are really not interested. Mm-hmm in interactivity on their televisions. And that is fine. They shouldn't be forced into it. There, there shouldn't be anything that complicates their experience. We right. want to preserve that relationship as much as we can. But there are people who do want more and who are interested. And we should be able to provide them with that stuff. We, we should be able to surface it to them in a way that doesn't require a lot of extraneous effort. So once again, we're seeing this as a, a multi-dimensional problem. It's not just yes, no, or some more, <laughs> but even even different dimensions of the same. Yeah, I promise I'm I'm not I'm not being evasive. I, <laughs> I'm not trying to be evasive. Yeah, it's true. It is it is a it is a complex area, and and all the more fascinating for it, I think. So, what do you see as the interactivity of the future? Where are things leading? What are you looking forward to being able to do? What do you think's coming up? And and are we there yet, or is there, there more to come? God knows. Um, well, as for are we there yet, well, no. And, and I think that's sort of a more, how long is a piece of string question. When will mm-hmm. we be there? I don't know. Um, the, the trend right now seems to be very much toward DIY and, or meta DIY. So either toward people making their own content and sticking it up out right. into the world, the flickers and the YouTubes and all mm-hmm. that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. or people commenting on stuff, sort right. of organized graffiti, I suppose is one way of <laughs> looking at it. <laughs> Where, you know, I go around and I look at stuff and I say, I think that is great and I think that's rubbish and right. I think that's right. about World War II and I think that's about <laughs> my cat. And... Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, th- there's a real trend there, and and whether or not that will continue, who knows? I think mm-hmm. I think that I think certainly some part of it will live on. Um, some people have said that it's partly due to this excitement that people have of you know finally it's possible right to engage, or it's easier than it's ever mm-hmm. been to mm-hmm. engage like that. And maybe that's true, and maybe it's a fad and it'll wear off. But I think social. Social influence on people's preference has always been present. That's absolutely true, yes. And I think that if it's enabled by technology, it mm-hmm. will continue to be present in interactive environments as well as in the real world. So that's definitely, I think, uh, something that will continue. Um, and I think that the other, the other big thing that I can see is, is guidance and choice. Right. Because there is... 
I was at I was at a course a while ago, and I can't, I can't remember which course this was, but uh, one of the tutors was talking about um, the choice problem with humans, and and I guess fundamentally we are hardwired to only be able to absorb eight things at any given time. Right. And if that's true, then think about just a week's worth of what you might have on your PVR. Mm-hmm. That's a ton of stuff. Yes. And and how do you? How are you supposed to remember? I mean, I can't even remember, honestly, what I recorded in any given week. I have to go back and look at it and think, what was that? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And I watch a bit of it or delete it, change it, whatever. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think that that's a fairly universal problem. People either not really being sure what they want or mm-hmm. not really even knowing what's available to them, not knowing what they've got. It's something that I've certainly been hearing throughout my career. Mm-hmm. So I think that whichever interfaces make that the easiest. Mm-hmm either through recommendations that say, you know, Amazon style, people who liked this also liked that, uh-huh. or by enabling people to recommend things to their friends, or I- in, a, in a really basic way by saying, this is a comedy, and this is a comedy, therefore you might like both of these things, or connecting things up because of actors, or things like that. I think the more, the more that interactive experience c- experiences can help people discover things that they're interested in, uh-huh. the better the better off we'll all be. Um, apart from that, I really don't know. I mean, there, there's... It's a really interesting time. So is there areas of... Uh, often we see that technology leaps frogs where we want to... We, and we, we've kind of got this technology saying, well, what are we going to do with this stuff? And sometimes we have these desires of what we want to do in the technology. Oh, it's just not fast enough. Or Is, is there anywhere where you think... Um, the technology is like that where you'd love to be able to do something, but the technology hasn't caught up with, with that vision yet. Oh, yeah. Um, on demand is creating that problem all over the place, isn't mm-hmm. it? I mean, that's the, it's, it's the big question on everybody's mind right now. Everybody who's trying to get content out there is how do we get it from point A to point B? I can't say this for sure, but the general consensus seems to be that the infrastructure is just not there to pump mm-hmm. all of the content through it that we want to. Um, and that is a big issue, you know. How quality of service on on television is a major thing. Mm. People are people know the way that their tellies work. It's like a light switch. You what would happen if you walk into? Worked, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> what what happens if you walk into your house and you hit your light switch and it takes twenty five seconds before the lights turn on? <laughs> you're not going to be very happy. You're going to no. think it's broken. Uh-huh. Same thing applies to television. You yes. turn it on, it works. Maybe there's a three second delay, mm-hmm. but. Uh, in this sort of brave new IPTV-enabled on-demand world, mm. you might have to wait 25 seconds. You might have to wait five minutes, depending on how fast your connection is or mm. what kind of distribution network you're on. Or, and I think, I think that's a big question on everybody's minds right now where uh, it's almost a chicken and egg thing. We've mm. got the content. Mm. We know sort of what the technology requirements are, but but nobody seem nobody seems to have properly cracked it yet, mm-hmm. and uh, partly for that reason, and partly just because it's cool, the the idea of peer to peer distribution has gotten mm. really big now as well, and you're starting to see players entering the IPTV market with purely peer to peer technology, and that's a really exciting thing. As on the flip side, imagine if you could have broadcast quality video. Mm-hmm. stream to you over a peer-to-peer network. No one would have to pay to build that infrastructure. Yeah, that's You'd right. just be sort of leveraging the crowd, I suppose. Mm. Um, 
that has interesting implications on the whole long tail theory, the idea that in long tail theory, it's generally thought that if you can make more of your content available over a longer period of time, more and mm-hmm. more people will consume it. Okay. Um, and, and that the volume of that consumption is equal to or probably greater than the volume of consumption of your most popular things, right. whatever they are, in our okay. case, programs. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if you start looking at a peer-to-peer distribution network, the, the way that peer-to-peer works today is the things that are most popular have the most bandwidth, basically. Yes, because they're more widely distributed and so on. Exactly. So that has a potentially disruptive Mm. knock-on effect to this idea of the long tail. So it is is possible that that will sort of elevate the stuff that's already really popular, the the Doctor Who's and the EastEnders and that kind of stuff, and that... And, you know, that, that documentary on penguins from 10 years ago is still going to take you forever to download and you still might never watch right, it. Right, I see. Um, I, I hope that doesn't happen. But that, that's, that's sort of an interesting facet of the mm. whole distribution technology mm. thing. That's one of the challenges of having a large archive of an enormous amount of stuff that uh, someone's going to be interested in one of those programs from a long time ago. But uh, it, it's almost like you have to have enough people seeded with the content in order to make it viable so yeah it's an interesting challenge to see how that'll work out mm-hmm. and may- maybe the answer is is in a combination of technologies but uh but to be sure that is that is probably the the most unpredictable mm. and technologically to me one of the most interesting aspects of what we're what we're doing as an industry let alone as an organization i i personally am very very keen to see what happens over the next sort of 12 to 18 months. I, I mm-hmm. do think that the whole world of content making and broadcasting and viewing and watching and sharing and talking about mm-hmm. media has changed and is continuing to change so dramatically and so rapidly that, that it's kind of anyone's guess where it's going to land and it's a really exciting time to be working in it. Um, so yeah, I'm pleased to be here and really curious to see what happens. Thanks very much for talking to me today. You're most welcome.